All right, chatty people, go back to your seats and get communion if you don't have it. Hey, go, time to go sit down. Hug the person you're with and go sit down. It's one of my favorite things about you people is you're chatty. That's why I probably feel at home here, you know? Hey, I don't know who said that. Hey, bless you. Okay. Oh, hi. Okay. Um, hey, people stage over here, stage left, stage right, whoever you are. Jack Carlson, put your butt in your chair. He's not even listening to me. When you look at me, no respect for someone else's mother. Sit down. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Welcome, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to those online. I hope that you're wearing your slippers and that somehow that enriches your experience here this morning. Um, so glad to be here with you all. I sort of was afraid that nobody was gonna come. <laughs> I was like, am I gonna like preach to Paul? <laughs> Which, you know, I'm sure he would just love. Should be so good, he loves it when I preach at him. Okay, um, so we, Paul and I just went to I work for an organization called Young Life, which is an international ministry organization to young adolescents. And we just went to our staff conference. So since I'm on staff and he got to come with me, and it was 6,000 staff from around the world. And we gathered in California. And um, it was an amazing experience. I've been to, we do it every four years. It's been interesting to see how the mission has changed over time. Um, and how it stayed the same. And even as Paul and I, we kind of, as we are flying from here to there, you run into more Young Life people as you go, you know, because everyone's gathering. And even when you don't know them, it's almost like you could feel the culture changing. Like it became more festive, it became more colorful, and there was this, there's a certain relational joy that is with Young Life people. Like if you know me, I'm very much what Young Life is. So um, we... It, was, it felt like going home. Like I was like, oh my gosh, it was really sweet. It was sweet to be in a place to be reminded of what we do and why we do it, but it was also sweet to be in a culture that feels so at home to me. Um, Young Life is a big, it changed me. It changed who I am. It changed the way that I see the world. And um, I, I grew up in a, a Catholic home. And then when I was about 13, we changed from being Catholic to Southern Baptist. So we had a big, you know, switch there. We also, that's where we learned to raise our hands. My dad was like, why do all these people have questions? And nobody ever, <laughs> like, nobody ever answers the questions. People just, so it took us a while. We're like, oh, okay. So that's where we learned that. Um, but because of that, I had, I, I saw the world in a pretty black and white way and in a pretty legalistic way. And um, I was really hard on myself. I was really afraid of sinning. Like, really afraid of sinning, so much so that when I would say goodnight to my parents, I would say, I love you, I think, because I was so afraid. What if I didn't know what love was? What if I, what if I said I love you and I'm lying somehow because I, I don't really know what that means? So I would say, I love you, I think, because I just didn't want to lie because I didn't want to sin. Like, that was, I lived in this, like, spiritual OCD that I was so afraid of doing something wrong. And I was so afraid of offending God. And um, I didn't know the heart of God. And when I was in college and I became a Young Life leader, that is where I learned the heart of God. That is what I learned what grace feels like. That's what I where I learned that the most important thing about me is I am beloved to the king of the universe. That he loves me and that he's for me. And he's not just waiting to, you know, pound me when I do something wrong, like tell you someone I love him and I don't really. <laughs> so careful if I tell you I love you, you know. Maybe I don't know what that means. Um, 
Young Life changed the culture of me. It changed the way that I saw myself, and it changed the way that I see other people. It helped me to see the person instead of the problem or the sin. Instead of being like, something, I got I to like save you because you're so broken. I was like, oh, you are so loved. It changed the way that I see people. It is a, Young Life is a gracious culture. Um, it's a place that's very open-armed. We say yes to everybody. We say, come on, come in the door because God loves you and he's for you. Like when you go to Young Life Camp, there's a smoker's pit. It's a place where you can sit, and it's actually usually a really beautiful place, and it's got a place you put your ashes in the middle. One, because we don't want them to burn down the camp, but also because does God love smokers? Yes. Does he want them to know that he loves them? Yes. So we were like, we can make a space for the kids who smoke to smoke. Like, so we just make a space. So sometimes people will come and be like, um, do you know that there's kids smoking over there? And we're like, yeah. Like, so I'm not surprised when the sinner acts like a sinner. Right? Like, you're not a, we shouldn't be surprised when kids cuss because why? They don't know who God is. Like, well, and, you know, a host of other problems besides smoking and cussing. But you're just like, we need to stop being surprised that people who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus. And I go, we in Young Life go, we want to build a bridge to the furthest out kid, to the kid who would never darken a door of a church, who would never come in here, who think that we hate them, we don't love them, we don't want them. We go, we're going to come find you. So young life leaders go into high schools and middle schools, and we hang out, like, we hang out in coffee shops. We, in, like, on Wednesday mornings, down in Louisville, on Main Street, there's a little coffee shop called Bittersweet. And it's where all of the middle school kids from LMS is where they all hang out when they have late start before they go to school. And a good young life leader goes there and awkwardly walks up to kids they don't know and are like, hi, I'm Michelle. What are you doing? What are you playing? What's your game? They start building a relationship with them. Before you know it, they're outside playing hacky sack with them. Before you know it, they know their name. They build a relationship from cold turkey. We are cold turkey people. Like the amount of people that I have walked up to and been like, hi, I'm Michelle. Want to be my friend? Like, it's like still I could pee my pants about it as a full-on adult. It is like, I, you know, it is hard to do. But what we do is we walk into a space where kids are and we go, God, highlight someone for me. Show me who. And he'll go, that one. And you go, okay. And then you go. And then you pray. And you go, Lord, open the door with that kid, you know. And like young life leaders stalk people. And they go to where they work. And they go, oh, gosh, here you are. I didn't realize, you know. And then just to keep having hits with them, keep remembering their name, so that someday we can build a relationship and earn the right to tell them the best story ever told, which is that they are loved by the God of the universe. And they have no idea. And so we're going to tell them. And so the most sacred thing in young life is the relationship between a leader and a kid. And we build that, and our whole ministry is built around that relationship. So even this summer, some of you know I spoke at a camp in Canada called Malibu, and I got to speak to like 500 kids at a time. And I stood on a stage and did the thing, and it sounds like I'm the important person. I was not the important person. My job is to set up the leader to be able to have a relationship with that kid and to have a conversation with that kid because that leader is who's going to lead them to Jesus. That leader is the person who knows that kid's story. Even when I'm talking from stage, the leader is hearing it through that kid's ears and going, oh, or like that's going to trigger them, or like, ooh, that part they might actually get. Like, and they know how to follow up with them. They have relationships with, with them. If you go to Young Life Camp, they are lovely places, and all around camp, there's little seats of there's little seats that have two seats 
two little Adirondack chairs, a little bench that holds two people. Why? Because leaders and kids go sit everywhere and talk about the gospel. So they listen to me talk on stage for, I added it up, it was three and a half hours in the course of a week is how much time they listen to me. And they talk to their leaders hour upon hour and day upon day. And they live in the cabins with them and they live life with them and then they're going to go home with them and they're going to do it forever. Like when I meet a kid in a high school, my prayer is that they will become like a child to me, that they will be in my house, that I'll come home one afternoon and they will be rummaging through my refrigerator. That's how I know I made it when I'm like, oh, you know that what is mine is yours and you are comfortable because you know where my key is. <laughs> and you came in here and you started rummaging for your lunch. And then my hope is that someday that I will be the one who's with them on their wedding day and I will zip them into their wedding dress. And when you do that with a kid who you didn't know and who the Lord highlighted in some random coffee shop and you built a relationship with them and you were there with them the moment they gave their life to Jesus. And then you watch them grow and I disciple them and I walked with them and they are like children to me. Like young life leaders are a mixture between a, a good big brother or sister and what a godparent is supposed to be. I am a godmother to many people because I just go, I want to be with you. And it's messy and it's slow and it's one person at a time. And it changes the world. Um, and I would say that, like, Young Life is a, it's a pretty photogenic ministry. Like, if you go to camp or something, it's very, like, bright and loud and colorful and, and, uh, as camp especially is super photogenic. And I would say that the most important thing about what we do is completely un-Instagrammable. It's like you would never post it on the internet because it's just as like me answering the phone in the middle of the night to the weeping person who is saying, I'm at a party, I am drunk, can you come get me? You're the only one I know who loves me and I'm a complete disaster. And I'm like, I am coming. I would never post that anywhere. That is what I want to do. That's how I want to live. I want to live life on life with people. That is what it takes to bring the kingdom to the furthest out person, the person who doesn't know that God loves them. How are we going to bring the gospel to them? And would we be a people who are open to that? Would we be a people who are open to doing that? Um, you know, and I would say that um, there's a... Young Life is not, by any means, the end-all be-all, and I could do a whole sermon about what I think the Lord wants to change in it, but um, I would say that that place taught me about what, it live, what it's like to make the gospel like this. Like, so often the gospel's like this, you, and you did it wrong, or, you, or like this, instead of like this. When uh, my oldest, Noah, just went to college, and he told me the stories that he, he had met someone in his, uh, one of his classes, and he's like, it just was interesting. He's like, they were really black and white, and they were really judgmental. And he goes, but he says, Mom, you and Dad raised me to be a person of mercy. And I just was like, oh, you're having no mercy on that broken person. You're trying to say, this is how it is, and this is what's wrong, and you are out of line. And he's like, you raised me to be a person of mercy. And I was so blessed because I think in some way I'm an expert at, at teenagers. This is what I do with my whole life, right? 
But it was real different raising my own children because with the teenagers that I lead in Young Life, I go like, well, I'm going to, I have almost like, I'm going to teach you this, I'm going to teach you this. Well, I never did a Bible study with Noah about being a person of mercy. Never. It was just who I was. It's how Paul and I live that when we see broken people, we open our arms. And I think um, the people who know me best would know that I am afraid that I would save everybody else's kids and miss mine. And um, one of the girls I disciple who knows me really well, she said, she was when uh, Noah was graduating and moving on in the world, and when I told her the story about the mercy, she said, she was like, it's those like thousand conversations in the car, right? It's the life on life. So there's the way I disciple my young life kids, and then there's the way I've discipled my own kids, which is just like, you're just with them all the time, right? And it's those million conversations that turn into something. And is there something about the way that God has called us to minister to people that is more like a parent with a child as opposed to a program or something you should come to? Like, come here, and I'll disciple you. Sit down, and I'll tell you some things. As much as I think, like, I actually think discipleship is a lot less like this and a lot more like sit around my table, and be a part of my life, day in and day out, sit in my car. The people that I have discipled the best are the people that for one reason or another, I end up in my pajamas drinking coffee with them. Those are the people who actually know me. We go on trips and we travel places or they're in my house or, and like, and I've been at their house and a lot of, the, a lot of the, my young life kids now have kids. I feel like a grandma. I feel like I'm a little too young to be a grandma, but I am. And so, these people, you're like, you are, you are my life. There's a verse that talks about um, what is my hope, my joy, and the crown in which I glory in front of Christ Jesus. Is it not you? I think about these kids that I have watched cross from death to life, often in my hands, and I'm like, you are my hope and my joy. You are the crown in which I glory in the presence of Christ Jesus. You, they are joy to my soul because I have watched their lives be changed. Um, Young Life taught me about what that's like. Um, it taught me how to do it. That's when Paul was a part of Young Life Staff too. This is what we, we taught people, what we spent our life teaching people is how to do this. How do you get in the lives of people deeply and build a relationship with them that changes the trajectory of their life so that you can tell them about who Jesus is. Um, this is 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And it says this. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. We share not only our, the gospel, but our life as well. How are we people who live our life with people? Like, I have got to think, is the most impactful part of me when I speak to 500 kids? Or when I do this, or when people go, hey, can you write a book or a curriculum, or can you give us, and I go, the most impactful part of the way that I have lived is that I have wasted my life with the people that he put in my hands. I have drunk a million cups of coffee. I have just sat with them. I've had them in my living room. I've fed them dinner. I have lived life with them. When I am, there's some girls I'm discipling right now. And if, would you go, is it more impactful when I speak in front of a lot of people or when I'm just with them in my living room, literally we get on our knees around my coffee table and I teach them how to pray. I pray and let them be around. How are you multiplying yourself? How are you giving yourself away to the people who God has put in your hands? Um, 
John 15, 12 says this. Jesus said, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. His, com his commandment is that we love each other. Love one another. That's the name of this series. And I would almost just hashtag that. Love one another that the world might be changed. This is how you change the world. You love one another, one person at a time. Last week, Matt talked about the way that Jesus did ministry and how he did it with a few, how he got his 12 around him, and even more so his three and maybe his one. And he was really intentional with time with them. He focused on a few. That doesn't seem to be the best strategy. Like, if Jesus was alive today, would he have an Instagram account? Would he be on social media? I don't know. I know that he'd be intentional. You know when Jesus would, like, heal someone, he'd be like, don't tell anybody. I think he'd be like, don't post that. <laughs> Whatever you do, please don't post it and put your location because all the people will come, right? I don't know. I don't know what he would do with the world that we currently live in. And I think we need to ask him for wisdom about what to do with it. But I do know that he would continue to pursue the few and that he'd build deeply into the few because that's how life changes. But I think what's interesting about the way that he did it is that he loved them so intensely and he loved them slowly. This idea of greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. And I think we see that with Jesus on the cross for sure, right? But I think you also can see it in the way that he lived his years, where he literally laid down his life for them, that he was always with them, that he was always around them. There's this interesting verse that's in Luke 11, and it's when eventually well, Jesus is going about to teach them the Lord's Prayer. But listen to this. He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. What I want you to see there is, is that Jesus went to have a quiet time, and he brought his disciples with him. He was like, I'm going to do this. Come with me. Come be with me. They were with him all the time. Like, Jesus was God in the flesh and he was like, this is how you disciple people, is you let them be with you all of the time. It's the, it's the, the rabbi model. It's like, I will be the rabbi and you will be right behind me. I read this book that's really interesting. It's called The Dust of the Rabbi. And it literally means that when you are a disciple of a rabbi in the Jewish culture, you literally, they would walk and you would walk behind them in their dust. Because you go, where you go, I go. What you do, I do. What you say, I say. When you eat, I eat. When you sleep, I sleep. When you pray, I pray. They would do everything their rabbi would do. It's not the way that we do it. Jesus was like, come on. When he said, like when Matt last week was like, he said to the people, come, follow me. Come be with me. He was like, for the next three years, do everything I do. Come and be with me. When I pray, you pray. So I just love that Jesus is like praying and they're like, how do, how do we do it? Like, they're like right in there going, teach us to do what you just did. And Jesus is like a good parent in that way that he's like, yeah, you're right beside me all the time. Like what would it have been like to just sit around a campfire with Jesus, you know? Jesus in his pajamas. Like, what is this like? 
What is he like on a normal day? Does he roll out of his bed and hit his knees? There's this verse in 1 Corinthians 11, and it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Sounds like a really arrogant thing to say, like imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Except if you can't follow me around for days or weeks or months or years and end up looking more like Jesus, what am I doing? If I can't say, come live life the way I'm living life, and you will find yourself knowing Jesus better, and you will find yourself closer to him, what am I doing? I hope that as I follow Jesus, and I am in his dust, that as other people are in my dust, that they will go, oh, we find ourselves closer to who Jesus is, and we look more like him. Someday, I will stand before God, and he will say, Michelle, there's a lot of people that I put in your hands. And how do these people look more like my son Jesus because they followed you around the days of their life? And I will need to answer to God for that. How do the people who are in my immediate circle look more like Jesus because they live their days with me? And some of it is how I live my normal life. Like, maybe I can do a good sermon, or maybe I can do a good Bible study, or maybe I... But do I live my life in proximity to people in such a way that the way that I am falling in love with Jesus is oozing onto them? And the way that I know him is oozing onto them. And I'm not saying I do it right, but I've got a relationship with him that I think is interesting and that maybe they might want to be a part of. There was a, one time I spoke, and... Uh, this girl was there, and, and, uh, and I didn't really know her. I knew of her. And she said, you sound just like my young life leader. Well, little did she know that I discipled her young life leader for years. And so later she told, the, told her leader, like, hey, like, you sa- like the speaker sounds like you. She goes, oh, no, darling, I sound like her. I've been listening to her and sitting with her for a long time. Um, oh, she's over there. Gosh, I love her. Um, we should be people who live our lives in a way that the truest things of us are seeping out. Um, there's a guy that I'm on Young Life staff with, and he does solitude every, every Tuesday morning. And he's like, when I decide, and it's a sacred time for him. But he goes, but when, when I'm discipling someone, I let them come and be with me while I pray. Because how can I expect them to know what it looks like to actually set time aside and be with God unless I let them in and let them see what it's really like? This is very inconvenient. Living life this way is very inconvenient. There's people, they just invade all of the spaces. I don't know if Jesus wanted them with him while he was praying on the mountain that day, but he brought them. I don't know if he wanted 12 people following him around everywhere, my husband would die. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, let's go have solitude, but let's have it together. Like, I'll sit over here, and you sit over here. He goes, honey, that's not solitude. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. Jesus says it was. Yeah, Luke 11. Um, <laughs> you'd be like, I can't. These people follow me around, my poor introverted husband. Um, but what does it cost to live life that way? And who are you letting be that close? Who are you inviting that close? And who has God highlighted in the world? And he was like, that one. 
and it might be the furthest out person, and it might be who you least expect, but are you willing to build a relationship with someone and bring them in to what your life actually looks like? What would that be like? Um, at this conference, um, John Mark Comer spoke, and I'm about to do something that uh, he would say you should never do. You should never steal someone else's sermon and just turn around and preach it, and you, especially before you have time to let it marinate inside of you. And I'm going to do it because it was so good. So you'll probably be upset at me. Um, but listen to what he said, and it just resonated so deeply with what, uh, as I was prepping the sermon, I heard him speak this. And this, he said, life with Christ is about who you become and who you become it beside. Who are you becoming in Christ and who are you becoming it beside? And then there's a woman, Ruth Haley Barton, and she said this. The best gift you can give the people you love is your transforming self. Not your transformed self, but your transforming self. The girls I disciple when I go like, here's where I am now, and then they watch me journey and transform and struggle and grieve and hurt. And, and in those processes, that's where I am transforming right in front of them. That is what discipleship is. The best gift I can give the people I love is my transforming self. Then John Mark said, he, this, this thing about from St. Benedict. They said, St. Benedict said, keep your death ever before you. Sounds kind of dark. Apparently, the Benedictines used to, they would pray and they'd have a skull there. And I don't know if it was a real skull or like a, I, I don't know. It was real. Okay, Wow. So they would pray and have a skull there because they would say, keep your death in front of you. Remember, this is where you're headed. Remember, life is short. What are you going to do while you still got breath in your lungs and skin on your bones? Keep your death ever before you because eulogy virtues instead of resume virtues is what matters in the end. What they will say of you when you're dead matters a whole lot more than what your resume says. We have traded saints for celebrities in our culture. Who do, are we going to? Do we want to be saints? Do we want to be people? He called a saint a faithful men, faithful men and women of uncommon goodness. What does it mean to be a saint? And we don't, we don't lift up saints anymore. We lift up celebrities. And this is who we look at. And this is who we follow. Do you know any true saints? This generation is in desperate need of not a great number of gifted people or of intelligent people, but of deep people. Deep people who are deeply connected to their God, who are willing to give their lives away to those they walk beside. Those are the saints. Those are the people that will change this world. This is the way that Jesus lived. When you think about the way that Jesus did ministry, he not only said, come and see, but he said, be a part of every piece of my life. Let me show you how I connect to the Father. Because they didn't go to seminary or they didn't go take a class in spiritual formation. He said, come and be with me, just me. If you are with me. It will change your life.
so this is my question. Would, would you say that currently you are being mentored by Jesus? Is Jesus teaching you something? Are you, do you know how to follow him? There's no shortcut to intimacy with God. I think I tell you that every time I stand here. You have to put in the time to actually know him and to be with him. Do you know what he's teaching you? Do you know how he's following you? I'm watching this whole generation of folks. A lot of times when I sit with people, I'm like, what's God teaching you? And they go, oh, I listened to this podcast. I heard this really cool sermon. And I'm like, when was the last time you like sat with your Bible and listened to the Holy Spirit? What is God telling you? We're farming out our discipleship to the internet. We don't know how to sit with the word of God and let it soak through us. We don't know how to sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit and let him speak. So one, do I know how to do that? Just like Jesus was with his disciples, am I with him? And if I don't know how to do that, I got to find someone who does know how to do that and go, will you, will you teach me? Like what Matt said last week about finding a mentor. Find someone who can teach you. And in my life, I've had some really good mentors. But I've also found, I've never found someone that I'm like, oh, I just want to grow up and be just like you. I have never found that. But what I have found is I'm like, oh, you are an amazing wife. And I ask them very specifically, will you mentor me for a year about what it means to be a good wife? And we talk about that. Or I go, I find someone who really knows how to pray. And I go, will you, will you sit with me for a year and will you pray with me? And they pray with me. I have had a million mentors. And I just ask them for what I want. So sometimes people come up to me. They go, hey, will you mentor me? And I'm like, well, what about? And they're like, well, whatever, all of it. And I'm like, no, ask me a good question. I do teach them. But I, I prefer it much more when someone's like, I am hungry for this. And I think maybe you have a little bit of that. Will you teach me? So find someone who has what you're looking for and ask them. And especially find someone who knows how to be mentored by God himself. And then figure out how to go, show me how you do it. And maybe you'll want to do it the same way they do it. There's a million ways to, to connect with God. Because he's really interesting. He's different. He has different relationships with different people. Just the way I have relation, different relationships with different people. But will you find people who know how to do that? Um. The best thing that we can do is to get into the dust of our rabbi. And when, Jesus, when they asked Jesus, how will they know the way? What does he say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's like, I am the way to do it. Like Matt said, he goes, we are they, they called themselves the followers of the way. It reminded me a little bit of like the Mandalorian, you know, when they go, this is the way. Right? Well, how do they know that this is the way? Well, because they hung out with people who showed them the way. We got to be people who learn what it means to follow God. And it takes intentional, inconvenient relationships with people. If you're going to mentor someone, if God's going to highlight someone to you and ask you to teach them to follow him the way that you follow him, it is very inconvenient. It's very personal. It's pretty messy. It's really vulnerable. And I believe this is the way that Jesus did it. So I think when we do like the way that we teach, the way that we preach, the way that we have Bible studies, the way that we have programs that we put people through, 
It's necessary and it is important. And it is not a replacement for the way that Jesus did it, which is this, this come and be a part of my life and let me disciple you day in and day out. Because building men and women into followers of Jesus is not easy. It is costly and it matters. The personal attention and investment it takes from us to actually disciple someone into walking with Jesus is a costly endeavor. And I think when we disciple someone and we say, hey, read this book or listen to this podcast or go do that, I think in a lot of ways we're missing it. This is, I mean, it's so, this is the way Jesus lived. And in some way, it's so obvious. And in another way, it's so easy to ignore. It's so easy to ignore that he just brought all these people with him. Is that what life looks like for you? Is that what life looks like for us? And is this, what would happen if we lived our life this way? The last thing I want to tell you is this. It's from Acts 17. I think I tell you this every time I stand here too. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Did you catch the part where it says that God determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Where you live in this time, in this space, in this place matters and is important. And God did it on purpose. Who did he put you next to? Who is he highlighting to you? Who does he say, this person needs me? And I put you here right next to them right now because they need what you have. Would we be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? Would we be willing to pull up an extra chair to our dinner table? So that someone could experience what it feels like to be in a family that loves each other. Do we think that it matters? What I do in young life is inconvenient and it is awkward. And it's changed my life. And I've watched it change other people's lives. It is weird to walk up to random people you don't know and strike up a conversation. And I don't start with the gospel. I don't start with, do you know? Like, I start with, nice shirt. Where did you get it? I'm good at talking about nothing for a really long time. But could we, could we be people who pray and ask the Lord to highlight a person? And worship team, maybe could you guys come? Um, one of the things we do in Young Life is uh, kind of off of Matt's sermon last week where it talked about how he had his 12 and his 3 and then his 1. Um, we pray and we ask God for a target. We go, God, would you give me my one? Would you show me? And I do it every semester. I go, God, who is my target? Who is my one? And who is my three? And who is my 12? And I write lists and I pray over them. And I go, and, this, and sometimes the Lord's like, I'm not going to tell you who that person is. You're going to go walk until you find him. And I pray and I ask. And then the person that the Lord tells me is my one, I am very intentional with. I answer their phone call. Every time my phone rings from them, I answer it even when it's inconvenient. I see them every week. I see them all the time. 
and my threes I do differently, and I, and I see them every other week. Like, there's a way that the Lord has taught me how to do this, but I have got, God, give me a target. Show me where to intentionally spend my time, and what do you want me to do with them? So we got to pray and ask the Lord what he is doing. And then when he highlights someone, you go, Lord, show me how. What does this look like for me to live with them the way that you lived with your disciples? Jesus discipled these people at very high cost to himself. Not just on a cross, but let's just pretend for a minute that Jesus was introverted. Like he's like, I'm just going to invite you into everything. You're going to be with me all the time. And I'm going to teach you what it means to be in intimate connection with the Father. Day in and day out, when I wake up, when I go to bed, how I pray, how I eat, what I do, where I walk. And will we be people who would be willing to live that way? So um, we're going to take communion here in a second. So maybe grab your things. Um, But similar to what you guys did with Matt last week, I want you to, I want you to scan your life and your heart. And who is God highlighting to you? Kind of what target is he giving you? Who does he want to be in your one and in your three and your 12? Who is he asking to intentionally move into your circle of influence? And then how is he asking you to invite them in? Maybe in an inconvenient way. And how do they start to see you in your real life? Not just you over a cup of coffee at a table, but you in your life. And how might that change eternity if we were willing to live that way? Um, all right, so hold the, hold the bread in your hand. Take it, we're going to take it together in a second. You pray with me. Lord, would you... Would you show us? Or would you give us a target? Would you show us who you want us to invest our life in? Because what if our life and our days belong more to that person than they do even to ourselves? God, would you show us the way? You are the way. Show us how. So just take a second in your life and maybe it's someone that you don't even really know yet at all or maybe someone that's really far away maybe it is the furthest out person in your life maybe it's not would you pray for them who is a person that maybe would never come in this church now but a year from now you might find yourself taking communion with them because God has changed their life. Holy Spirit, will you highlight to us? May we be open-armed and open-handed to hear God's word. Thank you, God, that you invited us in. Thank you how you love us that we know that. Take and eat.
thank you, God, that we are a people who are covered with your blood, that you have redeemed us, that you have set us free, that we might bring your love and your freedom and your kindness and your goodness to people who at this moment have no idea how loved they are by the king of the universe. Thank you that it is by the power of your blood that you set us free. In Jesus' name, take and drink. God, we praise you. And we are yours. God, we surrender to you. We are yours. And we ask, God, that you would use us in the moment and in the place where you have put us to change the world in which we live. Love one another. Teach us to live in a way that we give our lives away as a ransom for many, the same way that you did. Lord, the way you lived was costly. And I am not afraid if it costs me something too. Lord, we surrender to you again today. Lord, would you lead us? Would you move us forward? Would you show us whose heart you're stirring in, who you're calling us to love? That one person at a time, at a time that they might know your love, that this world might be changed. Holy Spirit, come. Show us how. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.